0: first episode of Cocktails and Khaki. I'm Taylor and I'm here today with Sabrina and we're gonna try this and see how badly we screw it up. Shall we introduce ourselves? Sure go ahead. All right I'm Taylor. I recently was bitten by the mash bug for no apparent reason. I've watched it since I was a child and usually every day before Jeopardy in the last two years and out of the blue realized that because Netflix exists I never had to stop watching it. So here I am now doing this, and that's pretty much me. I'm on another podcast, The Baker Street Babes, which is a Sherlock Holmes podcast, which inspired me to attempt to do this. However, I don't have our amazing tech person, so I don't know what my own skills are going to produce, so we're going to give it a go. (laughs) And I met Sabrina by putting a beautiful note on Tumblr saying, somebody do a podcast with me, and luckily she responded, was not terrified by me, and we are now... Good friends, right? Exactly. So, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, uh, my name is Sabrina. I've been watching Mash off and on since I was a kid. Uh, it was my dad's dad, one of his favorite shows. Recently, got into it. Mostly spent a couple days in the hospital at the beginning of the year, and while I was laid up in a hospital bed, there was a channel on the on the TV in the hospital that played Mash a lot. So that was what I laid there and watched because I wasn't allowed to get up. So, uh, as soon as I got out, I had about a two-week break from work, and in two weeks, watched the entire series, and then started again, and then once it went up on Netflix, uh, me, my best friend, and her boyfriend decided to have a a watch, but we're all at completely different points to the show. Other than that, um, I watch a lot of TV. A lot of TV. (laughs) Just a little bit of everything. I'm not really picky. I work at a pharmacy read a little bit play some video games that's about it i
0: live a very boring life so we've decided to go for the episode discussion route and we've decided Mm -hmm. for the first episode to check out the pilot of course from here on out we are not going in order because i would just probably want to throw myself off of a bridge if i committed that much so (laughs) instead well random today we're looking at the pilot episode which first aired on cbs on september 17th in 1972 a time long before the lifetimes of your intrepid hosts
1: fun fact if you pull up 1972 on wikipedia it is under one of the major events on on the wikipedia page that makes me extremely
0: happy i imagine people who are getting like cards that are like remember when and and it just says mash on
1: My mother sent me one of those on Facebook
0: this morning. (laughs) (laughs) It's a reality. I'm not just making it up. So, of course, the series had 11 seasons, 251 episodes throughout the run. Um, It is literally longer than the war it is about. And it, of course, sticks to a very strict timeline in which we know exactly what time everything is happening and how old the characters are and things like that, right?
1: Oh, God, it is so, like, it is so linear, I don't even know how
0: anybody could mess that up. They must have had, like, a giant master notebook timeline that had the names of all the characters and information on them. (laughs) And for anyone who has no clue what's going on, we are being extraordinarily sarcastic because it's like it exists in a timeline that doesn't exist.
1: No, it just exists somewhere in the three years between uh, July, June, June, 25th 1950 and July 27th 1953 like just somewhere in that time frame
0: yeah but sometimes people are there who weren't there
1: oh I'm aware Potter was there in 1950 and there was no way he was there in 1950
0: we've established the continuity is not the strong suit of the show in fact looking back on the 11 year run of everything that went on with it it's even funnier to me that it's nonlinear because one of the very first scenes in the pilot is the one that has the establishing shot that says they're in Korea. And then it says, quote, a hundred years ago.
1: Yeah. And it, and it specifically says Korea 1950.
0: A hundred years ago. Yeah,
1: Like there's no <laughs> guessing what, you know, year it starts out at.
0: And it's completely inaccurate and it just sets it for everything.
1: People don't have the same name. No, no. It's just
0: fantastic. Oh, yes. I wouldn't have anything to talk about if we weren't getting to point out all the things that are wrong. (laughs) Because that's what fans do. We love something completely. Point out every little nitpicky wrong thing about it, and then get angry when someone who doesn't love it enough points out the same problems. Exactly. You have to love it to do it.
1: I have a little bit of facts about the war. Go for it. Give us some more facts. All right. right. So the Korean War... (laughs) Uh, which I don't think was technically a war, because I don't think there was ever a declaration of war, but we're going to call it... (laughs) Police action. Probably. But we're going to call it a war. 25th of July, 1950 to 27th of July, 1953, uh, between North Korea and South Korea, obviously. Uh, North was uh, backed by the Chinese, uh, who had also recently gone through their own civil war uh, and rose as a communist power rather than a democratic power. Ultimately, North Korea comes to be a communist power, a totalitarian, a totalitarian dictatorship, and the South becomes democratic. The South was backed by UN forces, which were predominantly led by the United States. When it comes to casualties during the war, the U.S. had about 36,000 people killed—that's both in action and not in action—and about 103,000 wounded. South Korea had about 38,000 killed and about 450,000 wounded. China had about 4,000 killed and about 486,000 wounded. North Korea had about 300,000 killed and about 300,000 wounded. When it comes to the civilians, South Korea had about 991,000 killed or wounded, and North Korea had about 1.5 million killed or wounded. Uh, The arms assists. Was signed on the twenty seventh of July, nineteen fifty three, in John. and it eventually became two countries uh, in early nineteen
0: fifty four. So, so you can see how it's the perfect setting for a sitcom. Naturally, <laughs> naturally.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's so happy and go lucky. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then um, just real quick, a few uh, key things that happened in 1972 just to set the tone of when the show was was filmed. In 1972 was the last draft. It was the year the the last draft lottery was held, although the people that were drafted in it never actually were called to duty. Nixon made the first official visit to China since basically since about the time of Korea. Just putting this in there because I know Alan Alda was a supporter of it. The Equal Rights Amendment was sent to the states for ratification. It was ultimately never ratified uh, to the Constitution, but it it's was proposed. And, I know it was proposed and sent to the states. There is a treaty signed to ban biological weapons, uh, which were not a big deal in um, the Korean War, but were in World War II. You had the Japanese Unit 731 that were developing biological weapons at the time. 1972 was also the year that the Watergate scandal broke. And uh, 1972 is also the year that uh, major breakthroughs started to happen in the Paris, Peace, Acor- Paris Peace, Peace talks, which led to the Paris Peace Accord, which for a short time ended a lot of the fighting in Vietnam. Uh, 73 was when most of America's troops were pulled out, but 72 was when that kind of started. So MASH is set in Korea but filmed at the tail end of the Vietnam
0: conflict, basically. So more seriously, it actually is, is the perfect setting for a biting satire on what is going on. Exactly.
1: Uh, they kind of look at it as, even though they say it, it's not a commentary on Vietnam, a lot of it, at least in the early stages, is a commentary on Vietnam.
0: Yeah. And even if it, intentional or not, and especially if you were someone experiencing these things at that time, Mm -hmm. you could see how easy that would be to make those parallels oh yeah yeah but that's the war in a nutshell basically and i apologize to anyone who's not watched mash before because there's this unfortunate habit that i think we have though it's going to be very hard we're going to do our best to kind of introduce the concept without just making a whole bunch of inside jokes that you only get if you've watched them all yeah exactly but it's not (laughs) going to happen that way there's just no way Once you're invested, you can't continue to talk about something without making jokes about things later on. Um, But I do think that since the show ended in the 80s, we have passed the spoiler error. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I I don't think we need spoiler alerts anymore. So Um, my recommendation is before you watch it, before you listen to this, if you're if you want to watch the episode.
0: Yeah, we're going to try to pull out what the next episode is at the end of this one so that you can watch in preparation, even though it might involve some skipping around for you if you're just starting it.
1: The nice thing about MASH is that you can, you don't have to watch them necessarily in order. Uh, There are some that, you know, talk about things that happened in the past, but they're not so
0: there that you won't know what's going on because we're revisiting the linear timeline that they have exactly
1: it's the non-linear timeline for the non-linear podcast i guess
0: shall we talk characters first or shall we go straight into episode discussion i would do characters personally that way people know who i'm talking about exactly all right then so i'm gonna just go ahead and put this out there sabrina made this amazing outline of all of the characters It is like a novella within itself It's about six pages long that we will probably be drawing from. And some of the things are very serious and tell you things about people. And some of the things are just commentary that we have on characters. (laughs) Um, I feel it very important that everyone understand that Hawkeye has um, a bullet point that says sexy with a sub-bullet point that says extremely sexy, for instance. Um, It's very important. Exactly. It's a character trait that matters a lot when you're Hawkeye. It's It's very important. Of course, we're going to look at, um, I guess we'll start with our two main characters, uh, Trapper and Hawkeye, shall we? Yeah, I'll do Hawkeye. You're, I'll oh, do everyone will do Hawkeye. That is the point of the show. That's <laughs> it. That's the show. <laughs> you know,
1: I, gotta, I gotta say this. As you know, I, I love Star Trek The Next Generation. There's a the post online that um, uh, says what Star Trek character would correspond to what MASH character and hawkeye corresponds to riker and riker is the man whore of the galaxy and i feel like hawkeye at least in the early seasons is the man whore of the 4077 so definitely. definitely i find it i find it very uh, very perfect all right so our main character is captain benjamin franklin hawkeye pierce you'll be re- you'll hear him referred to as hawkeye that's what he usually goes by hawk sometimes hawk just drop uh, the eye or Hawk, yeah. Hawk, Hawkeye is uh, a surgeon. Uh, later in the first series, becomes a chief surgeon. Uh, more specifically, he specializes in thoracic surgery. So that's the, the chest cavity in the abdomen. He is, as we see in the opening shot of the first episode, he likes to play golf, particularly in a minefield. You'll also find that he is a martini aficionado. Him and Trapper set up a still uh, in their tent. Uh, Their tent is lovingly referred to as the Swamp, by the way, and they share it with Frank. We'll meet him later. His hometown is Crabapple Cove, Maine, although in the early seasons you see it mentioned as Vermont, Uh, but in the book, in the movie, it's just Maine. He he never mentions Vermont. And Crabapple
0: Cove is not a real place, so don't even...
1: No, but it is based off off of a real place. Well, yeah,
0: it's definitely based off a real place, but it's not a place you can go have an adventure, sadly unfortunately
1: he his family in the tv show he's not married in the book he's married with kids and in the in the movie he's married with kids but he's single in the tv show his family his father's name is daniel although i think it's big benny in the book and his dad's a lobster fisherman in the book but he is a doctor like hawkeye in the tv show he also has a mother Uh, who is alive for the first couple of seasons and then died when he was really young in the later seasons. Uh, And a sister. He has a sister in the early seasons and then in the later seasons mentions he was an only child. Other characteristics, he is ridiculously tall,
0: black hair, bright blue eyes. As everyone on this show has, you'll discover.
1: Yeah, yeah, they really do, though. Um, And he is portrayed by Alan Alda. Who, fun fact, uh, signed on a mere hours before production started to play Hawkeye.
0: So And is now the definitive Hawkeye in my brain. Yeah, so, yeah. Well
1: he's he's what I see when I think of Hawkeye.
0: I'll go on him with Trapper. Trapper, of course, is his full name is John Francis Xavier McIntyre. He's a captain like Hawkeye and a surgeon. Uh, he also enjoys golfing and martinis. You can see how they get along quite well. <laughs> <laughs> He of course is one of the other residents of the beautiful swamp, and he's from Boston, Massachusetts. He actually is married, however. He has a wife named Louise, and two daughters that are mentioned, Becky and Kathy. And uh, he's portrayed by Wayne Rogers on the show for the first three seasons before horrible things happen. Spoiler alert! I say horrible. It's not like he dies or something on the. No,
1: no, he made it home. He made it home. No,
0: he made it home, but it's still heartbreaking. <laughs> Uh, He is similarly ridiculously tall, because apparently the casting call was like, you need to be over six foot two and have blue eyes. Except he has hazel eyes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. His aren't actually blue. It's later on when BJ moves in that we become just a nothing but blue eye show. (laughs) (laughs) That's accurate. (laughs) That's accurate, right? So, Trapper is very much Hawkeye's roommate, and specifically his partner in crime. Oh, yeah. They're they're playmates. They're playmates, and it's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) So those are your main two characters, or what they essentially tell you are the main two characters, as you'll discover farther and farther down the road. Let's face it, Hawkeye is the main character.
1: It was originally proposed that they were going to be equals, like they were in the book and in the movie, but it eventually comes out that, that Hawkeye is the character that most people seem to like more. So Hawkeye ultimately becomes the main character.
0: Pretty much. and um, I can't say that I disagree with that. <laughs> that's,
1: that's true. That's true. I think part of the problem is that Trapper's character wasn't fleshed out well enough. No, not on the TV show. No. They cut out a character completely because there was... The book is MASH, a novel about three army doctors. So, and there's another doctor in the movie. They cut out one complete character, so...
0: In the swamp, however, there is one more roommate to be discussed. Yeah. Frank Burns. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it important to note that in the outline of characteristics, the very first thing <laughs> under his name is, quote, single most annoying character in the history of television.
1: I've only found myself feeling sorry for him once in the entire five seasons he's on that show.
0: I don't know, sometimes I feel sorry for him, but not normally, no. <laughs> Um, He has a wife named Louise also, Mm -hmm. because the other thing the show is really good at is picking a name and sticking with it. So Draper's wife's Louise, Frank's wife's Louise, and apparently everybody's sleeping with a woman named Mildred, but we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Accurate. Frank is pretty much your personification of your Republican, like even at one point, I think it was in the fourth season when B.J. comes in, I remember him being particularly excited about the concept that the new doctor might be a Republican. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, He's, you know, very regular army, very into the war, very keen to impress everyone and rise through the ranks in a way that our other two doctors who could honestly care less about army-related things and (laughs) restrictions.
1: (laughs) He's very good at being military
0: and not so good at being a doctor. Pretty much. It's a consistent joke that he's not very good at surgery. He has no lips. <laughs> this is a defining physical characteristic. That lipless wonder. He is a lipless wonder. Um, he's portrayed by Larry Linville, which is does a great job. I, I think I personally feel that if an actor makes you hate the character that much, they're doing a good job.
1: Well, yeah, and he was, from what I've read, the exact opposite. Like, the people that he worked with on that show loved him.
0: Oh, it's funny. Watch him in, um, watch some of the outtake reels. Oh, yeah, no, he's fantastic. He's so brilliant in the outtakes. (laughs) And, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, which is just tragic, to be honest with you. But, yeah. So that's Frank. You're going to hear a lot about Frank. He eventually <laughs> literally loses his mind, and that's where he he goes away.
1: I got to say, in the book, I think it was in the book, at least in the movie, uh, my favorite line from the movie is uh, when he's being carted off to the loony bin. The character that, that's cut out, his name is Duke, and he looks at Colonel Blake and says, uh, Colonel, if I bang hot lips and punch Hawkeye, can I go home too? (laughs) (laughs) So, like, he loses his mind. Like, legitimately loses his mind. But he loses his mind in the show and goes home and gets a promotion, so it's whatever.
0: Yeah, and he, and as I said, he is married, and the catalyst for this is um, him losing his mind, is losing his uh, wonderful affair, (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he lost that a while ago. He just legitimately lost it at that point.
0: That's true. He just gave up. <laughs> I think. I think they stopped sleeping
1: together sometime in the, sometime towards the end of the fourth season,
0: if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well, it's after she meets Donald. He, she's actually like once she meets Donald, it's kind of funny because it's she's very not gonna cheat on this man, and then at the same time though, she's totally fine with. Um, Frank cheating on his wife all along.
1: Yeah.
0: Maybe I should tell them who the she we're talking about is. That's what I was about to say. I think we should introduce uh, Hot Lips. (laughs) All right.
1: So our other major, uh, she's the chief nurse of the 4077th, is Major Margaret J. Hot Lips Houlihan. She is arguably one of the greatest female characters in the history of television, and she has one of the best character developments throughout the series. She goes from being shrill and uppity... To being kind and compassionate, still keeping some of those earlier aspects, but becoming a much better person towards the end of the series. And that had a lot to do with um, the actress who played her, the writing changed, and, you know, certain other people taking over. Her and Frank had an affair through roughly the first three and a half to four seasons, Uh, off and on. Uh, She'd get mad at him a lot. Um, she gets mad at her. everyone a lot <laughs> uh, later on she uh, marries a uh, colonel by the name of Donald Pnebscott who she later divorces uh, because he runs away <laughs> and sends her a letter that he was meant yeah. for another and woman and then uh, she cheats on him with Hawkeye that night but whatever who I know well, who, right, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> she
1: is she makes it a point especially in the later seasons, to point out that while she is an Army major, she is also a woman. She is from Fort Ord, California, except her father is in the Army, uh, so they moved around a lot. And her dad is, like, dead for the first seven seasons, and then he pops up magically.
0: He's alive, He's again. alive again. just, like,
1: pops up magically. But her family, like her, like I said, her father is Al howitzer Hulahan. She has a mother whose name we never know, but we find out that her mother is a drunk and a klepto, because when she gets drunk, she likes to steal things. And she has a sister. And she is portrayed by Loretta Swit. And her mother and father are
0: divorced when it turns out she's alive. I know, alive. I know,
1: that's magical. <laughs> and, like they, and her parents must have like given each other a gajillion gifts on their wedding night. Because she gives Frank, like, a ton of stuff that she says her father gave to her mother on their wedding night.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Margaret is, honestly, you know, you were saying that Hawkeye is kind of the favorite character of a lot of people, and I do love him, but Margaret is by far the most interesting character to me, because she actually develops in a way that you almost never see with Mm -hmm. sitcom-type or dramedy characters. She has the best character development. She completely changes from the beginning of the show to oh, the yeah. end, oh, and that's really better.
1: Uh, Hawkeye is my favorite because him and I are a lot alike. I have a lot of Hawkeye's flaws, for, so to say. Uh, but but Margaret Margaret is definitely a very close second for me personally. Yeah, she's wonderful.
0: So, and you will find yourself liking her more and more if you're watching it for the first time. Because at first her association with Frank and some of the things they do, because they're specifically set there to be a foil mm-hmm. trapper and Hawkeye, um, is a little annoying, a little over the top, and stuff like that. But after a while, she kind of befriends everyone a little more and opens up,
1: there's a there's a quote uh, from Alan Alda that once said that it was amazing to watch her go from like sitting being very quiet on set doing needlepoint. To walking out there and shrieking like a
0: banshee (laughs) on camera. (laughs) (laughs) I bet, because that's kind of the main thing she does for a few seasons there. Yeah, she shrieks like a a banshee for for three seasons. And I think, do we want to hit our last couple characters here real quick? Yeah. Just give a little overview. Uh, Sure. Let's start with our CO, shall we? The wonderful commanding officer of the entire unit is Lieutenant Colonel Henry Braymore Blake who is pretty much completely useless at his job. Okay, that sounds... No, that's that's not that true, sounds, though, actually. I mean, it sounds because really honestly. Cool, but it's really not. <laughs> but, but the thing is that, like, he's useless at all of the more military and paperwork and side of things, but he's actually a really good commanding officer because he keeps these uh-huh. people from growing insane. He makes everyone fairly happy.
1: He's, he's a good surgeon, so, I mean, he helps him out in that regard. He's just kind of, as I said in the, in the outline,
0: his indecision, I think, is his biggest problem. Oh, yeah, he's not good at making exactly. executive and he's decisions. He's kind of a bumbling idiot. Yeah, and he's adorable, let's face it. He is the best <laughs> drunk of all the drunks, because pretty much everyone on the show is drunk. But <laughs> time, no, it's That's actually not is. true, because, well, but Radar and... McC- well, McKay. McKay he gets, gets drunk on Canadian
1: wine, and Radar gets a trip to Soul, <laughs> or he gets drunk and dragged back to Potter's office in the fourth season.
0: <laughs> That's true. And, to be fair, like, anytime you see Radar drink anything, he'll take, like, exactly. two sips of it and be fall down drunk, because he's usually exactly. drinking Grape Knee Highs. Okay. Let's be fair but about anyway. that. But, um, he's played by McLean Stevenson. He is also married, a uh, wife uh, the name that we have written down is Lorraine, but heaven Lorraine heaven was
1: her name through <laughs> at least the third season. I'm willing to say it started in season two, but she had like three different names before then. Because his, I swear to God, his yeah, wife's she's... name was also Louise at one point and eventually became uh, Mildred, because
0: everybody is sleeping with Mildred. Well, if his wife's name was Louise, then that just means that he, Frank, Trapper, was <laughs> exactly. the same woman. Which would explain all the infidelity, honestly. brother-husband. is <laughs> fine. It's an interesting <laughs> set of brother-husbands to choose.
1: And he has two or three kids. I'm wanting to say it's three because I think he had a son before his wife had the baby. So I'm wanting to say it's two boys and a
0: girl. Yes, he actually has a son during his time in the MASH unit. We get to experience his finding that out. Uh, he signs paperwork we were talking about how he's bad at paperwork. He just indiscriminately signs anything placed in front of him. And I I really and truly wonder how it is that Klinger never figured that out. He could have been, like, sectioned eight out of there and just been like, "Um, yeah, this is for sending some aspirin to the orphanage. He could have been right out of there. (laughs) Just putting that out there. He
1: orders ice cream. He thinks he's ordering ice cream, but he's actually signing weekend passes to Tokyo. So...
0: (laughs) It just you know, at one point, radar gets him to sign
1: it. blank pieces of paper, so that he doesn't have to sign them later.
0: So, um, and Henry has arguably the saddest death ever.
1: You
0: know, you and know, you don't even sad, see it.
1: <laughs> but I think the saddest part is what I mentioned earlier was that he had a son that he never got to meet, and I think that's what makes it even more tragic.
0: Of course, but I will give you just a heads up if you don't watch the last few minutes of Abyssinia Henry and then just ignore, like, three lines in later seasons, he never died. Fun fact, there is a
1: brief segment at the beginning of an episode of The Carol Burnett Show, and I think it and I think it aired not long after the season three finale of M.A.S.H., where you see McLean Stevenson, and he's dressed up like Henry Blake, and he is floating on a piece of wood in the middle of the Sea of Japan, and saying, hey, I'm here, I'm still alive.
0: So... Okay, so are we now just taking the Carol Burnett yeah, show yeah, to be new uh, canon? It's
1: it's it's uh
0: it's mash canon now. So, and while while you're looking at Carol Burnett show, watch the Alan Alda one. Anyway, <laughs> because Carol Burnett is fantastic, I want to be her when I grow up.
1: We have two more characters, two more main characters that we meet. So we have uh, Father John Patrick Francis Mulcahy. Uh, we find out later that his ring is lieutenant. Um, he is the priest of the outfit Uh, he is a Catholic priest but he handles the uh, services for all I guess the the Christian based religions but he also does a Jewish ceremony every once in a while Uh, like I said earlier he sometimes gets drunk on the communion wine I can get in on that he is a big boxing fan we learn a couple couple episodes later uh, when Hawkeye is training Trapper that he loves to box, loves watching boxing. He has black market connections. Uh, that's how he gets supplies and such that they can't get. He looks out for an orphanage in the area, uh, which is run by a nun, but he makes sure that they get what they need. Uh, and the 4077th helps with that. They make sure that the orphans get uh, the medical supplies that they need. I'm pretty sure he grew up in a Catholic orphanage. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty... I. I I'm almost certain that he he said that once. His hometown is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His family, uh, we at least know he has a sister, uh, both literally and figuratively, because his sister is also a nun. Uh, She bit him once, and she has a major overbite. Uh, We find that out. She also plays the saxophone. Um, Father Mulcahy is the only character on the show that was played by two different people. Uh, in the pilot episode he was played by a man named George Morgan for the rest of the series that he is in uh, because he is not a main character until later seasons but he's in most of the episodes in, in the in the early seasons uh, he's played by William Christopher who is the person who most people think of when they think of Father Mulcahy
0: alright and I guess I'll move on to our favorite little Hufflepuff Uh, (laughs) That's what I'm going to call him. Our other character, Corporal Walter Eugene Radar O'Reilly, who is the company clerk and basically runs this outfit. Mm -hmm. Um, To him, Henry is very much a father figure. And Henry's kind of taught him to do his job, which is funny when you think about it because Henry is so bad at everything, but Radar basically is like a model of efficiency. Uh, Radar basically, it, actually I'm going to read what it says in the outline because I think this is perfect. Picks up radio <laughs> transmissions via his glasses or some shit. I don't know. Maybe he's psychic. Uh, he literally anticipates Henry's every thought. He can hear and knows when choppers or wounded are coming in before they're there. Things such as that are kind of his defining things. He's from Otumwa, Iowa. He has a mother and an uncle and his mother looks exactly like him. Literally. Like yeah, his mother yeah. Is, him. His track, is him. Let's face it. <laughs> and uh, they, he comes from a town like I said, which is he lives on a tiny farm. He's a from from a farming family, so to speak. He's played by Gary Berghoff. Uh, he's one of the holdovers from the movie, is he not?
1: He is the only holdover from the, the movie. Only the only. The only person, person. He's the only character played by the same person in both
0: the movie and the TV show. And he's just plain adorable. He has a teddy mm-hmm. bear, which actually is adorable also. See, I can't say anything besides adorable when I'm talking about him. Although, I really feel that right before he leaves the show, he becomes extremely bitter. I think that the reason he becomes extremely bitter
1: is because the fact that Gary Berghoff himself was extremely bitter through most of the show finally comes Yeah, in. <laughs> It just took a while. Yeah. I don't know. And unfortunately, I think that's part of the reason why I can't look at Radar the same. On top of our main characters, we also meet a handful of characters that are in at least a handful of episodes as our minor characters. We meet Captain Ugly, John Black. He's the anesthesiologist, one of them, for the 4077th.
0: Which is something you'll never see mentioned again after the first few seasons. There's not a specific. There's always just some random person with no name doing it, or one of the doctors does it themselves. Or one of the, one nurses. Of the nurses. Yeah, does it a lot. Yeah. We meet Lieutenant Maggie Dish she's held up to be the model of beauty she is she, not? <laughs> she is
1: according to hawkeye she is uh is she in other episodes
0: i think she's in a couple probably in the first season um not very much though at all and very very rarely mentioned which is really funny because when you watch the pilot it's almost like they set her up to that it's going to be a big deal you're going to see more of her and you don't yeah
1: and then you never really do we meet Captain Oliver Hammond Spearchucker Jones, which is another character actually from the uh,
0: book and the movie. And he lives in the swamp on the fourth uh bed exactly. that is never used exactly. again. He's after the fourth he way. Unless Sydney stays over for a slumber party, but we'll see. He's get
1: to the him fourth swamp rat. Um, he is the only African American semi main character on the show through eleven seasons. He, they eventually took him out um, because it's revealed later that uh, there actually aren't any not in the show it's revealed later but we find out later that they took him out because there were no African American surgeons in Korea during the war so
0: that's why he's eventually taken out so for one of the very first times ever the people who defend whitewashing of stuff because there weren't any in that time were actually right
1: we also meet Brigadier General Hammond, who apparently was supposed to play a much larger role than he ever did. Because he was only ever in, like, the first couple of episodes. Yeah, he's another one
0: that just kind of disappears after a while. Yeah, he's
1: um, in charge of the soul... I don't know what the word I'm trying to use here is. He's in charge of the MASH units
0: in and around Seoul, basically. Yeah, so... Because there are other M.A.S.H. units, believe that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Actually, you start to see that about fourth or fifth season, kind of. They start start to to evac other hospitals. Go on adventures to the other ones.
1: Yeah. Hojan is the uh, Swamp's Korean houseboy. He is also from the book. Uh, So he's another character that they didn't just make up.
0: I'm kind of sad because I quite liked him. I feel like there could have been some fun going on. He was only in a couple episodes. Yeah, and then he just kind of well, I think he goes well. away.
1: We'll get to during a well, discussion. School. Yeah, <laughs> and like there's uh, a legitimate <laughs> one other nurse who becomes a
0: decently major stay, at least for the first two seasons. She has a name and is the same person. That's a decently yeah. major
1: nurse, <laughs> <laughs> and that's First Lieutenant Ginger Bayless. Uh, she is. I-, I lied. I lied about Spear She is the only. She's the only other African American semi-main character on the show,
0: uh, and she is a nurse. So that takes us through a general overview of the characters. So let's hit up the plot of the episode. I'll give you the quick breakdown. I was going to say, I would do that
1: personally, and then use the rest of it for discussion for for you and I. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So essentially, in the pilot episode... Trapper and Hawkeye are holding a raffle to raise money for the education of their Korean houseboy Jong. And of course they stage all of this during a time when uh, their CEO Blake is away, and adorable hijinks ensue as they try to create a way to come up with the money that is needed to send their houseboy to Hawkeye's alma mater. So that's what we've got starting as our introduction to these characters. This is our first little snafu type situation they go through. What do we want to say about this episode in general? We say it's definitely a lot closer to the original source material than any... Much closer.
1: Much, much closer. I mean, even some of the... the, Even the main plot of the story, which is trying to raise money for Hojon to go to school, is ripped right out of the book. Now, there is a big difference about how they raise money, but I'll get to that later. The tone of the pilot episode, and I would say probably the first one, maybe two seasons is much closer to the source material than than any of the other seasons.
0: It's just a little bit more like what you would have been used to if you had read the book or seen the movie before the show Exactly, It would be what you would expect. It's also the first episode in which they kind of introduce a trope that they revisit several times, which is that a portion of the show is essentially being told in the form of Hawkeye writing a letter to his father Uh back home. And you see this happen a lot in the show, and even in later seasons, you see it happen with other characters. There's one where Klinger writes back home, there's one where um, BJ's writing to his wife, things like that, that frame the entire episode around what is being told to the friends and family mm-hmm. back home. And there's at least, in the first couple seasons, three or four of these Dear Dad
1: three episodes. episodes. of There's three Dear Dad episodes, but there's also an episode where he's recording a letter home to his hmm. father as
0: well. So favorite things about this, we get our introduction to all of the characters, in fact, we get the immediate introduction to the main characters with the establishing shots, all of which kind of set up these very, to a certain extent, serious moments um, at the camp, but then kind of pull back to reveal the humor underneath it. Um, for instance, um, and Henry Blake is opening a bottle of champagne, but you can't tell what he's doing when it's zoomed in. It just looks like he's working OR or something similar. And as they zoom out, you realize he's just opening uh-huh. a bottle of alcohol, which pretty much sums everything It about.
1: really does. Mash does a very good job of being lighthearted enough to enjoy it, but not forgetting that they are in a war, that there are serious moments. Uh, you'll notice there's never... The show has a laugh track. There's never a laugh track
0: uh, segment when they're in OR. It's true. And the show is, by the way, the show, you can do it without the laugh track, and it takes on, like, a different thing to it completely, almost.
1: Yeah, it goes, yeah. It goes from being just what is supposed to be a dumb sitcom without the with the laugh track, uh, when it's telling you when to laugh, to a, a dramedy. Which it is. Oh yeah, definitely. Without the laugh
0: track. I mean, there are funny moments, but there are very serious moments. It's just a lot more obvious without those cues to laugh. And really, you don't need them. No, you really don't. So they plan this entire idea, and quite literally at the very beginning, Hawkeye suggests that what they should raffle off are weekend passes um, to Tokyo on R&R in the company of a nurse. Which is kind of an interesting thing and a very interesting setup of his character immediately because his first thought is, "Let's raffle a nurse off."
1: But you find you find later on in the series, like he stops being the womanizer that he is in the early exactly,
0: seasons. which is which is kind of again character development that's definitely worth oh, the yeah. time because he is definitely portrayed as a creeper in this episode <laughs> um, as he is attempting to convince Lieutenant Dish, who again we said in the introductions of characters is kind of held up to be his model what like perfect beauty is you are treated to a montage of him literally hiding in her belongings (laughs) to to get to her (laughs) which is humorous but then if you think too much about it not really um so eventually he does however convince her to do it and they decide to sell raffle tickets and to have a party at which there will be a charge for the drinks, and all of the money is going straight to Hojan in his attempt to uh-huh. get him to a school. Now, the school situation is introduced very early in the episode through the form of a letter that Hawkeye receives from his alma mater saying that they are happy to accept Hojan on his recommendation. Mm,
1: yeah, and also his uh, his academic standards had met there. Which gives us um, one of the better quotes my, of the episode is Hawkeye's reading personal the letter. My favorite mm-hmm.
0: quote. Of the entire episode. Which is, uh, his wonderful college says to him, if you do to the army what you did to this college, America is finished. And you can definitely see it in the (laughs) future seasons. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, as this whole situation is going on, we have our foils, Frank and Margaret, who are off having their affair. Uh And they think that nobody else knows that they're having an affair, but the entire
1: camp knows that the two of them are sleeping together.
0: There, there's no way anyone could not know. <laughs> so they're off doing that, and when Hawk, when Frank comes back into the swamp in one of the earlier scenes, Hawkeye is pulling money out of Frank's Bible to buy him tickets, essentially just taking his donations, <laughs> so to speak, to the raffle. And this is kind of what starts the main anger in the situation between them in this particular mm-hmm. case, anyway as what kind of sets Frank off. So, Frank, of course, is upset. um, He's not just
1: upset about that. He's upset about um, living with them in general.
0: Which you would be, too, if you were him. Well, if I was that uppity, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not defending his uppity If my head was that far up my own ass, I'd be mad about it. And in retaliation for this, he destroys their still. Which, essentially, and especially you'll as seasons go on, you'll discover is tantamount to like destroying a precious, significant other. <laughs> well, in, 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 in Frank's defense, he didn't actually mean to break the
1: still. He was dropping it. Instead of dropping it, he kind of threw it on the floor and it broke.
0: He should have never touched I it, agree. Damn it. Like you're not wrong. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Frank, Frank, see what I mean? Worst, most annoying character. And in retaliation of this, uh, Trap and Hawk put him in a gunny sack, which is the most childish response him, ever. Literally kick him out the door. Literally a kick it's him. It's wonderful. <laughs> which is unfortunate because it really leaves Henry with no choice but to attempt to punish them in some way. Which he's not very happy about because, well, first of all, it involves responsibility and work. And second of all, he generally just agrees with them, I think. Usually, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But part of this punishment is that he's taking away the passes and not allowing them to carry out their raffle fundraising. Or
1: have the party. He shuts the the entire party down.
0: He shuts the whole thing down. Unfortunately, he's also leaving them to have a talk with General Hammond. Which you find out a little bit later
1: that General Hammond and um, Margaret are uh, close personal friends. Yes, close, <laughs> very
0: close. <laughs> um, but Henry's going off to do this and has told them no party, and as if there's any chance that they are going to listen to that, um, and leaves Frank in charge of the entire unit, which is also a bad idea on many levels. Yeah, well, they, mm, got no choice. That's how the army works. Unfortunately, Frank is somehow a major. (laughs) Um, Of course, our boys are rather intrepid and will not take no for an answer. As we discussed in the opening, Radar does trick Henry into signing over the passes by telling them that he's ordering ice cream. (laughs) A dribble. A dribble. How much is it? It's like a... A ton of ice cream. It's a ton. Like an unreasonable amount of ice cream, even for a match unit. Um, And so they throw their party anyway. But in order to do this, I have to remove Frank from action. And they have to keep both him and Margaret occupied. And, of course, the easiest and not at all unethical or illegal way of doing this is simply to sedate him <laughs> and wrap his face up like a mummy with bandages. I see no way this could be wrong.
1: <laughs> so after they've sedated Frank, uh, we start into the party. Uh, and while the party is going on, uh, Margaret is walking around looking for Frank. She informs, she, she walks in and interrupts. Hawkeye is dancing with Lieutenant Dish at this point, too, by the way. <clears throat> she informs him that uh, when she finds Frank, that Hawkeye and Trapper will be arrested. And Hawkeye says that um, he hears that a lot of wounded are coming in later. Uh, they're actually Canadians, because uh, like I said earlier, it's UN forces led by the US, but there were also other countries in there. So it's a group of Canadians who try to take a hill, uh, and there will be a lot of wounded coming in, and he doesn't plan to operate if he's been
0: busted. Which is another trope that they have introduced that you will see again and again for the first few seasons. It literally is like, Hawkeye does something horribly illegal and is going to get arrested, but he can't because he has to do surgery, and then everyone sees him perform surgery and is like, wow, you're the greatest surgeon that has ever walked the earth, we can't arrest you. Exactly.
1: It happens a lot, (laughs) at least in the first season. He tells Margaret to forget about Frank and join the party. I think what he tells her exactly is to uh, forget Frank, grab grab a guy, and give him a dancing physical. <laughs> Which is she gets good. she gets mad and starts to walk away, and he spins around and calls her hot lips, and she gets even more mad. <laughs> and she storms off and calls General Hammond.
0: Uh, who was at dinner with Henry at that time. Yes, which of course is what brings them back to the camp to discover this illicit party.
1: Margaret eventually finds Frank in post-op when she's going to give the uh, soldier who is in the bed the shot, and she recognizes something while uh, she's going to give him the shot and uh, realizes that it's Frank, so instead of giving him the sedation, she gives him something to wake him
0: up. Which is beautiful, because she was this close to just giving him another sedation shot. She really
1: was. (laughs) So, uh, Hawkeye announces that they've raised enough money to send Hojon to school. And he announces the winner of the raffle. And the winner of the raffle is Father Mulcahy. So, the priest won two tickets to Tokyo (laughs) with a nurse. (laughs) Which
0: is lovely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, just after Hawkeye announces who the winner is, uh, Hammond and Blake arrive, and they're both not particularly pleased. Hawkeye and Trapper are in trouble. Like, serious trouble. Especially as Margaret comes in dragging a barely conscious Frank. And uh, General Hammond calls her hot lips and Hawkeye and Trapper look at each other and say hot lips and then they realize how they know each other and just as uh, Hawkeye and Trapper are about to be arrested by the MPs a load of wounded arrive on Choppers. And then we cut straight from there we actually don't see them in surgery at that point Uh, we just see uh, surgery dying down. And Hammond has a change of heart and decides not to arrest and court-martial them because it would be a waste to lose all their surgical talent. And Hawkeye and Trapper apparently weren't informed of this uh, and walk out of the OR handcuffed together and are ready to go.
0: Uh, which is essentially the scene that launched a thousand slash ships, but that's, that's a fandom <laughs> If you're a fan of this, you'll, you'll understand that.
1: If, if you ship them, yes. If <laughs> you're a piercing tire girl, you'll get it. The last thing we see is... Uh, Hawkeye and Trapper lamenting about about how if they keep people alive they'll never get out of the war and the end of the episode right before credits roll is a roll call of our new cast and characters and we go to uh, our end credits so that's a basic overview of the episode
0: so that's pretty much what happens we just gave you a play by play of the episode let's do a little discussion and so we're going to move from uh, our recap into the actual discussion portion of things here It's honestly a rather strong episode for introducing these characters, I think.
1: It's one of the better TV pilots I've seen.
0: Um, Pilots are always, of course, a little bit weaker than the shows. People haven't really found their feet, and they're also trying to provide so much information in them, usually, that it's exposition, exposition, exposition kind of situation. I kind of enjoy that while they do introduce the characters and things with the establishing shots and the way that they present them, they kind of jump right in. Well, I think what they assume is that a lot of people have either read the book or seen the movie. Which is fine. I, because... I just find it good that they do that because one of the problems is that very often pilots get bogged down in that introductory area, I think.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, you have to understand the movie came out in 1970 and it was one of the biggest movies of the year. So I guess they wouldn't be wrong in their assumption that most people that watch the show were, have probably seen the movie.
0: It's um, a very lighthearted episode in comparison to things that slowly, as it evolves, the show itself evolves later into a more serious situation. And I've seen it said online, and I kind of agree that it's like, watch MASH, they said. It'll be fun, they said. And you watch this episode, and you laugh, and you watch the first three seasons, and you laugh, and then suddenly, Abyssinia Henry happens. (laughs) And and from there, it just gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. there are some episodes in the early seasons, like a Yankee Doodle Doctor, that touch on the more serious side of it. His
1: soliloquy at the end of Yankee Doodle Doctor is one of my favorite moments of the entire
0: series. Yeah, because it's brilliant, and it's absolutely true, the way you have to look at things in that situation and the way you have to think about things.
1: And, I mean, like you said, there most of the first couple seasons are very lighthearted, but there are some very serious episodes in there first season in particular I can think of is the sometimes you hear the bullet oh, ooh. where we witness Hawkeye witnessing personal death at the hands of the
0: war he didn't die but but somebody he knows did and it's kind of the first time I think it really hits him or at least hits him enough that it breaks through everything he's built up
1: I think it's one of the first times that he realizes that he doesn't have a snarky comeback for something, which I think is his protection mechanism. Oh yeah,
0: definitely. And it sets up one of the more interesting scenes in which you can really see the reasons why I said earlier that Henry actually is an effective CO, Mm -hmm. is the way that he discusses the situation with Hawkeye while Hawkeye is so upset. Exactly. The way that he handles that tells you exactly why he's so good at what he does despite his indecision and his bumbling and his hate of paperwork and things like that. It's because of the way he handles people, which he also does with Frank a lot. I think he does. that's yeah. a very interesting relationship because he does a very good job, again, in that commanding officer position of walking this fine line between upholding standards to what Frank wants and being authoritarian to the degree that is necessary, but at the same time not putting everyone through it.
1: I think he's much harsher on Frank because I think Frank needs someone to be much harsher on him.
0: Oh, definitely. Very interesting relationships. I In the very first episode, we see the first time that we are automatically introduced to Margaret and led into this idea that she quite obviously uh, uses sex as a tool.
1: Not so much during the run of the show, but in her
0: past yeah she doesn't do it as much during the run of the show and in fact one of the in my opinion strongest margaret moments in any season is right after her divorce has gone through when the general comes a general comes to visit and offers offers to give her a promotion basically but entangled in that is that they have to be romantically involved and there's this part of you if you've been watching it at first that's a little afraid she's gonna say yes because Mm -hmm. It's obvious she's done it in the past. That's where she is. She's very career-minded and things like that. But the moment that she throws this man out of her tent and tells him basically to get lost is the moment, I think, that is the biggest turning point for Margaret. I agree. Because you see her kind of take control of her own fate and realize she doesn't have to manipulate other people to be good at what she does. But that's one of the themes that they introduce early on in the episode here that definitely helps to paint that character development later on.
1: Yeah, especially with her nickname. Her nickname is Hot Lips. I don't remember if she had that nickname in the book. It's been a little while since I've read the book. Uh, And that's not how she gets her nickname in the movie. She doesn't have it before. Spoiler if you haven't seen the movie. Basically what happens is her and Frank are having sex, and Hawkeye and Trapper have put a microphone under her bunk and broadcast it to the entire uh, camp. And she mentioned something about hot lips, and that's how she gets her nickname in the movie.
0: And there's never any real explanation of her nickname. On no, the show. but you
1: can assume that she had to have gotten it probably from all the it's pretty from obvious. all the liaisons she had. And you'll notice she had most of them with people in power.
0: Oh yeah, she's always well. It, there's even a joke, a throwaway line in one of the episodes where she says that she could never love someone who couldn't outrank her. That's,
1: yeah, yeah, she does.
0: There's some ambition going on there. Yeah. It's a little bit of a Slytherin.
1: But it's never actually, like, proven that she slept her way to the top. You
0: know what I mean? No, I don't think she did, though. Like, I don't think, I think she keeps those connections handy because they will help her. But I don't think that's how she got where she is because she's an incredible nurse. Uh, I mean, even Hawkeye is just completely struck by, like, the way she operates. Yeah, she's
1: one hell of a nurse.
0: Um, it, like if you're watching, like I love the uh, in the interview when they're asking what people think of her and Hawkeye, all he can just say is he's just like like she's one heck of a woman. What <laughs> he says exactly. yeah, He's like he's like uh, she's really he's something. Ena- he's enamored <laughs> with her. Towards they they gain a
1: mutual respect for each other in the aid station episode, and I think that's when
0: his viewpoints of her start to change because they they definitely end up becoming really good friends. But everyone always is talking about what a great nurse Margaret yeah. is. So she definitely didn't just... she deserves to be where she is. And she works hard at it. Again, for good Margaret episodes, watch the nurses. Um, That's a fantastic one. When you see her kind of finally break down and realize, kind of showing herself to the other nurses that she's a human and that she likes to hang out with them, and that even though, you know, she has to yell at them for breaking the rules, she's not beyond breaking them too and kind of keeping it on the down low, as long as they include her and just seeing her pain of how she's not included. And how much it bothers her. It must be so unbelievably isolating, first of all, to be a female in this camp that's probably about 75% Mm -hmm. male. And then to consider that the other women, because of her position of power, wouldn't include her. It really gives you some insight into the way she acts.
1: I think it gives her insight to herself, because I think she finally realizes that that's why the way she acts yeah. is the reason they don't include her. And I think that's that's a pivotal turning point for the character of Margaret to become less shrill and less the person she was in earlier seasons and to eventually... She starts
0: to move away from the Exactly, shiki.
1: exactly, <laughs> and becomes more human.
0: And then, you know, because from, from that point on, you see her hanging out with the nurses and doing things.
1: Yeah, and she and she opens up to, to
0: the rest of the people more as well. It's like later in those seasons when you start seeing her playing poker. Exactly, with guys, exactly.
1: Incredibly. Or, or uh, the, the double elimination scrabble or whatever it was.
0: Yes, and the um, like, one of my favorite sequences because I'm just imagining how the conversation went down when this happened is in um, Is it Eye for a Tooth where they're having the escalating prank yeah. war? And she tr- tricks BJ and Hawkeye into coming naked back into the swamp but all the nurses are already there with popcorn. <laughs> I just like to imagine how that conversation went down as she like went to the nurse's station. It's like, guys... Guess what's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I'd be down. I'd be I, too. But I just really like that. Another
1: really good Margaret episode. It's in season eight. Uh, it's called Are You Now, Margaret? And it's the
0: episode where she oh, gets yes. uh, accused of being a communist sympathizer. And it's one of the great things about that is that you suddenly see exactly how much she means to everyone else as they all start mm-hmm. defending her. Immediately. Yeah. I mean, it is a ridiculous accusation for several reasons, but it shows you a lot the relationships, the way they react to what it Exactly.
1: Happens. You see our main characters come together and come to bat for. Her.
0: And it's interesting, so she's I like that our episode discussion has turned into let's talk about
1: Margaret. <laughs> we can talk about some of the other ones if you'd like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to talk about Margaret. About Margaret. <laughs> it's just, you know, her, she's the one that changes most in between this pilot episode and the end. I agree. Of it. And so it's easiest to end up talking about her when you're talking about the pilot episode.
1: Mm-hmm. I can see that. Her, at least her that's how I, I feel. Her and Hawkeye are the two with the most development as characters.
0: And they're also they're the, the ones who are there beginning. Yeah, to there end. are I was about
1: to say there are three characters, uh, but only two actors who are in the pilot and the finale. Uh, you have Hawkeye, Margaret. And Father Mulcahy are the three characters, and the two actors are Alan Alda and Loretta Swit. As I said earlier, Father Mulcahy is played by a different actor in the pilot episode. Hawkeye is Alan Alda is the only actor in every episode. I think Loretta Swit was in 243 episodes, if I remember correctly, in total. So she's only wow. missing. She's not missing many, but she's yeah, credited
0: no. in all of them, and she's in most yeah. of them.
1: So I mean, the two characters that are that are there are gonna be the ones with the most development. I mean, Hawkeye goes from being a lecherous, gin-chugging, snarky, problem with authority, womanizer into—I mean, he still drinks, but not as much. He doesn't really womanize.
0: He becomes a much more sympathetic He really
1: character. does. He really does. It's it's.
0: You feel like he grows up.
1: He does. He becomes an adult. And I mean, at some points he's kind of forced to, but it's all changed for the better, I think.
0: Oh, yeah. And to be honest, you know, we mentioned earlier when we were talking the characters, I mentioned that Radar becomes very, very bitter toward the end, and you, I definitely, I think I kind of agree with your theory on part of why. But he's another one you see grow up on the show. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. But it's almost like his growing up, is going from this optimistic naivety into this just being upset and bitter and by the reality. Big ball of anger. Yeah. So, which is an interesting development, too. But makes sense if you have a character like that going through this.
1: Yeah. I mean, the change
0: really happens, I think, once he gets injured. Oh, yeah. Well, he, and he's angry at Hawkeye for so long after that in yeah. the episode. Which is something he's not used to. It's the first time I think he kind of sees the people he views as heroes as being mm-hmm. humans.
1: Well, yeah, because he, he calls Hawkeye and Trapper Superman in um, the episode where they go to exchange POWs. At the end, he's unpacking their suitcases and he tucks Trapper
0: and Hawkeye into bed and calls them Supermen.
1: Uh, yeah, he definitely,
0: especially Hawkeye, but both of them views them as being just incredible humans. Which is kind of interesting. It's not the best role model to pick because early season Hawkeye is not something you should be emulating. But I
1: think he does it because Hawkeye talks to Radar as an equal.
0: Yeah, very few people do. It's another reason I think he has such a strong bond with Henry.
1: Yeah, because Henry Henry views him... Henry at some points treats him like, like, treats him like a child, but also views him as one of his equals.
0: Yeah, a little bit, both. So... That's kind of an interesting another character that you has an interesting character arc that I think makes sense for the situation in yeah. a way. But you get a lot more character development in general in later seasons, and that includes new um, new actors who come on mm-hmm. and things uh, when BJ is there and Charles is there. There's so much more character development with them than there are in those early seasons.
1: Well, by the end of season three, I mean you have I don't want to say that it's a driving force, but it's a big deal. You have Alan Alda taking over a lot of aspects of the show. Yeah, his
0: creative hand gets in there with the writing and directing stuff. phenomenal
1: in so. in that.
0: I mean, a lot of people... I have I, read a lot of places
1: where they say they don't like the old, the later seasons because they see it as Alan Alda getting on his soapbox. But I kind of look at it as you have the best development in the later seasons. Because, I mean, Alan Alda takes over... But Alan Alda taking over a lot of things allows for the
0: actors themselves to give more input in their characters. I think that's... It becomes a very much more collaborative show, because by those late seasons, you have all of the actors doing their own directing and production. Exactly.
1: And, I mean, you have... We were talking about Margaret a little bit ago. She's... Her character development has to do with Alan Alda taking over and giving a more feminist voice to the show but also allowing Loretta Swit to decide how... to to give input on how she thinks Margaret should develop
0: as a person. Shows like that are always really good when there's a great collaboration. I think that's one of the things uh, This kind of not necessarily comparison matters, but I think it's one of the things that works for The Office Mm -hmm. very well. Um, The American version of The Office, I think part of the reason it works is the pitchfoy you've got are actors who are Mm -hmm. writers and directors. And so you have someone who takes a character, owns it, has a complete input into the creation, and Put out of what, how it develops from their point of view. Yeah, I've
1: noticed that uh, I like to watch NCIS, and that happens a lot, too. They're a very close ensemble. They're a cast that gets along
0: very well. And they're a cast that are allowed to give input.
1: But yeah, I enjoy
0: those later seasons later, specifically for those reasons. I mean,
1: I, I like them all. There are some aspects of the first couple seasons I really like that I'm sad they got away from, but I wouldn't trade the later seasons for more like the first couple, personally.
0: Although there's just this little part of me that feels like part of my reasoning that I like them so much is because I love BJ and he is my favorite.
1: <laughs> one. <laughs> one of my favorite episodes is in season two. So ah, which one? I'm a big fan of Captain Pierce and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> or is it Dr. Pierce <laughs> yes. and Mr. Hyde? I think, it's Cap- I think it's Captain Pierce and Mr. Mr. Hyde. The, the episode where <laughs> Hawkeye goes crazy, where Hawkeye suffers from major sleep deprivation and tries to take the officers retreat to North Korea.
0: Yeah, and he's just I, I like <laughs> oh, <that's painful. laughs> oh. Okay, I see that. Okay. See that's the thing that's what I'm saying. I feel like my preferences are specifically the way they are because I have a attachment to something in the later seasons that I don't in the first.
1: But in all honesty, my favorite episode of the show is in season 7. Which one? It's Peace on Us. Oh man. That is my favorite episode of the entire series. That's hands down my favorite episode. So, I mean, it's kind of both. My two favorite episodes, one is from the early season hijinks and one is from the later season kind of seriousness. So, um,
0: I've noticed this. I know I've read the book. I don't think you have. I have not yet because I cannot find the book without ordering it off of Amazon, which I haven't done because I'm poor.
1: I ended up breaking down and ordering
0: off of Amazon.
1: I also, have you seen the movie?
0: Um, I have a long time ago. Okay. I mean, I barely remember it. Yeah. Um, And I I make a joke all the time that I can't watch it because Donald Sutherland is the clumsy waiter in my head, which is a reference to Kentucky Fried movie, which is even more disturbing (laughs) that I know that. I'm like, he can't be Hawkeye. He's just the clumsy waiter. (laughs) Anyway. I
1: read Donald Sutherland said one time, speaking with him, that um, him and uh, Alan Alder were waiting in the line for something. I I think it had to do with something like meeting the queen or something like that. And they were standing opposite each other. And Alan Alda leans over and shakes Donald Sutherland's hand and leans in and says, thank you for my life. The hall. Because Donald Sutherland played Hawkeye in the movie, and Alan Alda got to play Hawkeye in the TV show. For, like, pretty much ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the pilot episode is one of the few episodes that has a couple direct references to the movies and the, and the TV show. One of the ones, uh, particularly early in the episode, uh, when they're in the OR, and Trapper is working on a patient that doesn't look like the patient's gonna pull through. So he calls Mulcahy over and he calls him Red. Uh, Red is the nickname he Red is the nickname they give Mulcahy in the book. It's actually given to him by Duke, not by Trapper. But uh, I think it's the only time that he's ever referred to as that. Like I said, uh, another one is the main storyline of the episode where they're trying to raise money for Hojon to go to school. Uh, they raffle off a nurse in the TV show in the book just my favorite part of the book they um, print 2,000 copies of pictures of Jesus sign them gets a, have a cross built erect it in the back of a truck tie Trapper John to it because Trapper John in the book has long hair and a beard he doesn't look like Wayne Rogers does and drive around selling autographed pictures of Jesus that's beautiful and that is how they raise the money in the book
0: I'm going to have to buy it on Amazon aren't I
1: <laughs> uh the hat that alan aldo wears in the pilot episode is the same hat donald sutherland wears in the movie um at one point uh when they're going through the tickets and counting up the money hawkeye mentioned somebody named the painless pole that is the name of the dentist in the book that's what they call him and then when they first get into their tent after or and hojan hands uh hawkeye a martini, Hawkeye says finest kind, and um, finest kind is Hawkeye's kind of catchphrase throughout the book. Those are the ones I've noticed.
0: Yeah, if you've noticed something else, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of takes us through the, the first episode there. I agree. I think we're good to go. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I hope other people find it fun and interesting and not just boring listening to us ramble. <laughs> um, it will get better if people just hang in there. <laughs> This is our first attempt, so we'll start probably getting better structure going on here and things like that as we go on, uh, which we hope to do. I am plan at least to do one more of these, if not several more. I'd like to do a lot, <laughs> yeah. but if nothing else, I'm giving it at least one shot. So the thing that's left for us to do here is we need to pull up a random number generator and find out what episode we'll be discussing next so everyone can watch it. This is completely random. Which means we'll probably end up with like one of the very—I mean, most of the episodes are really good, but we'll probably end up with like one of the ones that I'm not enthusiastic about. Just how because about I'm doing I'll, I'll
1: hit it three <laughs> times? Okay. Okay. Third number is the one we'll go with. You ready? Uh, yep. One, two, three. We get episode 101,
0: which is in season four. Ooh, I like season four. <laughs> BJ. <laughs>
1: Might be in season five actually. I lied. Because the first four seasons have 24 episodes apiece. Okay, episode 101 is, from season five, episode four, Out of Sight,
0: Out of Mind. Sounds good to me. All right. So, we will work on that. Everybody go watch it. I don't have a timeline for the new episode yet. I mean, we'll definitely (laughs) give it at least a week or two so that people who do, if anyone actually bothers to listen, they can go watch the show and have fun. Uh, yeah. We're going to be launching our social media sites in tandem with this, so just pop over onto our Tumblr or our Twitter and uh, give us some questions, comments, anything you have. We'll be happy to mention them on here or respond to them.
1: You can also send us an email. Uh, we have a Gmail account, uh, which is khaki
0: at gmail.com. It's all one word. Pretty much you can find us everywhere with the username Cocktails and Khaki. We'll, we'll link everything on the Tumblr page. Yeah, definitely. So you can check us out from there. And hopefully this is something that will go on and we can do some more fun things with it. And if you're a big M.A.S.H
1: fan, you can go check out uh, the text from the 4077th.
0: Oh yes, that's another little side project of ours, <laughs> which I have been enjoying a lot. <laughs> It's a lot of fun. (laughs) And if you go and check that out, and you happen to also be a genius of um, witch and stunning humor, send us some of those, please. We take submissions. Even if you can't do, actually create screen caps, you can send us ones you think would be appropriate with descriptions of what scenes or episodes you think they would go for.
1: Yeah, I can pull caps, no problem.
0: So please let us know.
1: If you have any ideas for the podcast, like I said...
0: You want to be on the podcast? Let us know. Just do all the things. <laughs> just, uh, just send us a note. Let us know. We like talking about mash with people, and the more people talk with us, the better. Uh,
1: we also plan at some point maybe talking about things from the fandom, so if there's things specifically fandom-related that you'd like us to discuss. Oh yes, yeah, so we're all about that.
0: Cosplay, fanfic, memes. Yeah, exactly.
1: Adventure. We want this to be fun. It's by the fans for the fans.
0: Yeah, there's just, there's kind of a lack of MASH podcast out there. One, I do believe. (laughs) See? All right. Well, thanks, everyone. That's
1: it for now.